Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. Hey, Buster. Hi, Adam. How are you? Doing good. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you all right. Great. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Perfect. All, good. all right. Is that right if we jump right in? Let's do it. Cool. Uh, so the question uh, you selected was, what life lesson took you a while to learn? So I'll start off by asking you that and maybe uh, why you asked the question. I know we spoke about it a bit over email, but I'll give you an opportunity to expand on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, the life lesson that it took me a while to learn, I guess that's sort of the nature of life lessons. But um, the one I would like to focus on is just why is it so difficult to argue with people? Yeah. <laughs> um, why is it so hard to communicate um, in a disagreement, I guess, is the life lesson. Um, you know, the first the, the first problem is asking, the, is like articulating the, the, the lesson in the right words. But um, yeah, it definitely has taken me. And I, I guess I consider myself still on that journey to some extent. Um, but yeah, that's been a hard one for me. And why why do you think we're so bad at it? Well, you just got to look at the evidence, I guess. Um, you know, if, if you do something over and over again, I think there's that old definition and it continues to fail and you keep doing it. Like that's sort of the definition of insanity. And when it comes to disagreement, you could probably say safely that we're all fairly insane in our <laughs> expectations about, you know, how to do it productively. Um, yeah. It's like if you just ask people, you know, what percentage of your disagreements are productive versus unproductive, um, and I've done that a couple of times, like nine out of 10 people will say nine, you know, most of them are unproductive. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's it bears uh, my own personal testimony to that as well. Um, you know, we just have a hard time jumping into a conversation and feeling like we got anything out of it at the end of the day. Right. Do you, do you view it as something that will naturally get better at? or we naturally get better at throughout the course of our lives with experience, having experienced uh, unproductive disagreements, or do you think it's something we really need to make a concerted effort towards uh, improving? Well, I definitely don't think we automatically get better at it because yeah. we can, we can look at people um, around us and um, there doesn't seem to be, to be any rhyme or reason <laughs> related to age or experience um, in terms of who's good at it, who's not good at it. Um, you know, the old man ranting on his lawn, you know, is, is a stereotype for a reason. Um, and, uh, you know, all of us have that, you know, internal old man inside us um, that's ranting all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that, you know, if it's not working, I think the, the question is, like, what's preventing us from getting better at this? Why, why is why are we why are we not getting better at this? So that was going to be one of my next questions is, do you think we're getting better at it, at having conversations? If you, I don't know, look throughout history and then, yeah, exactly the question you asked, why, why are we, if, if we're not getting better, why, why are we not getting better? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the fact that we're still um, referring to Socrates as, as one of the people that is good at this um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shows that, you know, 
perhaps the answers have been apparent to a few people throughout history, um, but we haven't absorbed those as a society. And um, why have we not? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of different ways to look at that. Uh, you could look at it through just evolutionary terms, or you could look at it through um, sociological terms. Um, you know, what are the things that you know, maybe it's the case that getting better at arguing is not um, necessarily required for us to survive. Um, and maybe, in fact, being bad at it ensures our survival more um, than in the past um, getting better at it. So if there's no pressure on on it, um, perhaps that help, it helps explain why um, we don't do it. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I had always sort of assumed that uh, collaboration is what's helped our our species i guess to thrive but Mm -hmm. i guess i guess maybe you could make a case for um i guess not needing to to always collaborate or well this is that's that's a good distinction because you know in my exploration of this i think it became fairly obvious early on that there's two different distinct families of disagreement one of them is disagreeing with somebody that's in your family and in your tribe in your group that you've you've already established a relationship um and you've you have a shared goal um you have sort of you're gonna you know that you're gonna be around this person for a long time so you have to like sort of work it out and you find a way and i think we've evolved a lot of ways to do that um one of our institutions around um sort of the legal system and government and um even like the economy are all they all hinge on like these these layers of shared values, I guess. Um, and then there's the, you know, the way of arguing between tribes, across tribes, you know, and that's the one that uh, we never evolved because we never needed to. You know, we we relied on our tribes to fight other tribes um, collectively, and so there weren't all of us weren't on the edge of the per, the periphery of our tribe as the ambassadors of our tribe, um, trying to be the diplomats um, to others, and so we never really internalized that. And um, yeah, I think those are the ones that we uh, we find ourselves um, struggling with because now the, the world, you know, everyone's at the periphery. Everyone can, can shout as loud as they want about, you know, whatever they think is important and be heard by everyone else. Um, so it's, it's put us in this awkward situation of um, basically being ambassadors for our tribes without any training and, or thought about how to do that. Interesting. So I'm excited to read your book, which by the time this is released, will be, will be out. (laughs) Um, but, and I'm sure you'll touch upon this in the book, but, uh, would you mind, um, sharing your view on what the key differences are between a productive and unproductive disagreement? Yeah. I think, you know, first level is just ask yourself, like, did that feel productive? Um, and I think we have an intuition for for that. Like you, could, you, you often walk away from a conversation like, oh, man, that was a huge waste of time. Yeah. Um, or like, wow, we really got a lot done. Um, and so that, I think that's, you know, the intuition we have. But then if you tease it apart, like what actually happened? What's the difference between the two? Um, and I, I've identified four things that can be different. Um, and we really, we really um, stubbornly latch onto one of them, which is, um, alignment. Um, that's like, you know, if we if we come out aligned, um, then it was successful. And that, that works really well when um, you're 
trying to find the same answer. <laughs> but if you're really just fighting for different answers, that sh- the chances of that are much lower. Um, the other three are um, insight. So like learning about the other person, learning um, what caused their beliefs to differ from yours, learning what formative events they had that um, sort of helped form these beliefs, um, learning how those beliefs have have helped them in their life, um, what would it be at stake if those beliefs had to change, those kinds of things, or even learning about the world. Like maybe they have a perspective of the world outside that um, you don't have. And so they can actually tell you that you know, this whole section of the world is different than you think it is, or you don't, you haven't been there. So I'll tell you about it. That I, that I classify all those as insight or like just like learning about, about something you didn't know, which yeah. could be an outcome of, an, of a disagreement. Number two is um, connection. So like actually building a relationship with someone. Um, someone might start off as a stranger, become a friend. Someone might become a, be, you know, be you know, an acquaintance and become closer. Um, there's lots of ways to strengthen connections and relationships with disagreements. Like some of the best, you know, relationships in our lives are all oftentimes like filled with disagreement. Um, and it's okay because you love each other or you're like, you sort of get it. Um, and it's part of your banter or, you know, your, the fun that you have. And that's the third, that's the fourth thing is enjoyment. It's like, there's a lot of, it's easy to say like, you know, sometimes bantering is fun. And sometimes it's it's fun to like, you know, disagree and um, sort of explore the, the edges of people's um, sort of beliefs and see if you can find something new, see if you, and it sort of plays into the learning and the connecting is like all these stuff, all these things can sort of bubble up into actual enjoyment where you're coming away, not only learning something, but feeling closer to someone and having a better time the whole time. And all that can happen and no one changes their mind about something. Um, and I think that if those things happen um, more often than not, they will feel productive because you've actually gotten a lot out of it. Um, and, you know, the way that minds change, I think we don't actually, we can't really track that conversation to conversation anyway. So we don't know um, if it was your mind that changed or their mind that changed or, or a little bit of both um, coming back is, but if you enjoyed it, you might do it again. Right. Um, on, on the first piece you talked about, which was around just using your intuition and reflecting, um, are there any practices you've found helpful around reflecting, whether that be journaling or meditation Mm -hmm. or anything that you would Mm -hmm. recommend or you found helpful? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, so the book is basically, you know, eight things to try. And the first thing to try is, um, to watch for, uh, watch how your anxiety sparks. So, um, sort of a play on Marie Kondo's, like, you know, does it spark joy? Like, you know, does it spark anxiety is really the question. Um, and not only what, um, but what does, what, what is, what is being threatened when you feel anxious? You know, someone says like, oh, everybody who does X is an idiot. And you're like ready to fight them, right? You're ready to, to, to like, you know, go to go down and, and defend yourself. Um, but one way to really um, reflect on that is to look at that, anxiety as the trigger or as the um, sort of signpost to some kind of internal personal value that um, you find to be important. And maybe that's just, you know, um, common decency is the thing that was, was violated there, or it could be, Oh, they don't, they don't believe that people like me are important. Um, Or it could be, um, they don't believe that it's okay. They don't believe it's important to help people who are hurting or um, they don't, and so you, you you can sort of dig in a little bit and try to understand um, what is the personal value that was threatened. And if you do that, then 
you can actually pull that back up and be like, you know, that could be the topic. You could be like, is, I, am I hearing you correctly? Do you not value um, sort of the lives of the disenfranchised? Or do you not feel like it's worth protecting people that are endangered? And you can have a conversation that's a little bit more nuanced and at the actual root of the anxiety versus the top where you'd be like, oh, I can't believe you voted for that policy or I can't believe you just insulted these people um, because that stuff could just go back and forth versus talking about values, talking about personal beliefs, talking about um, things that you think are important. Um, that could be a fulfilling conversation um, in its own right. And it's not um, often laced with the anxiety and the triggers that um, the surface level disagreements have. Um, but yes, yeah, so you can use, like I use journaling a lot, um, you know, oftentimes I'll, I have a disagreement journal. So anytime I have a disagreement, I go in and I, I just dissect it. I'm like, okay, well, here's what I was anxious about. Here's what I felt was threatened. Here's sort of, you know, the words they use that, you know, and, and I also value, like, what are the things I could have misinterpreted? What are the things that um, I might be missing um, from their story? And over time can sort of just like, learn to look for those things in real time instead of after the fact. But um, for a long time, it will be after the fact um, to do the self-reflection. You know, so journaling is great. Meditation is great too. But, you know, sometimes even um, a conversation or, a, you know, a, a debrief after a conversation can help with this too. Cool. Well, I like your idea of a disagreement journal. I'll give it a try. <laughs> yeah. It's super uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, from my personal experience, I find that a lot of times – uh, conversations or arguments um, end up they feel like it's a it's a conversation where one side's saying you're right uh, sorry I'm right you're wrong and mm -hmm. I find that as soon as it gets into that kind of mentality on either side it's hard to to come to an agreement so I'm curious if you think there's ever clearly a right side and a wrong side in a disagreement or if you view each side as just each side's own perspective and maybe there's biases at play. Yeah. Um, I think on the surface, it does look like there's a right and the wrong side. And maybe if you, if you took apart the disagreement and you defined each word in it and you both agreed on the words and the meanings, um, there are cases where you, know, you might all believe the exact opposite thing, you know? Um, but um that's just the surface. I sort of see that as the, the low resolution um, version of the argument when, um, you know, so let's, you know, pick something out. Like I think, um, you know, candidate A is the best person to vote for. You think candidate B is the best person to vote for. Um, so even right then you could see that there isn't a right or wrong answer, right? Like there's, there's three different kinds of truth. Um, one of them is, that you know, the first type is the kind that we think all arguments are, but almost none of them are. I call those like you know the arguments of, of the head or the um, um, about like what is true. So in an argument about what is true, you and I could go out, consult a third party source, and find the answer. Like if you say that like cat is spelled C A T and I say that it's spelled K A T, and we agree that the English dictionary is the right place to go for the truth, um, we can go look it up and, and resolve it. Um, we try to reduce all arguments into that kind of thing, but almost none of them are. Um, so going back to like the politics example, um, like candidate A versus candidate B, is there a right or wrong? Um, well, at first you have to determine um, what criteria you're basing your, you know, your judgment on. Like, are you just basing it on who is 
the most um, aligned with your politics? Are you doing it based on who you think is the most electable? Are you doing it based on who you like the most? Um, are you doing it based on who you think is going to win? Um, all those things are different, completely different games you could be playing. And I could I could say, like, I, you know, I'm going to vote for candidate A, but I think candidate B is going to win. Um, and you could say, I'm going to vote for candidate B because I think candidate B is going to win. And we can spend all day arguing about who's right. Um, but if you could find out that, like, okay, well, if we just focused on the right question, we could actually come to agreement. If we actually focus on who do we think is going to win, maybe, you know, maybe we agree. Um, but so I put all of those into the um, conflict of the hands, which is like trying to predict what's going to happen or the or the heart, trying to um, uh, decide what is meaningful. Uh, so I, I sort of these three buckets are what is true, what is meaningful, and what is useful. And um, most conversations that end up in a bad disagreement are about what is meaningful or what is useful. And if you can get down to the actual nugget that you disagree about, like you know, you can almost always find agreement because most of the time you're just arguing about two different things. Um, most of the time, someone is arguing for what is useful, and the other person is arguing about what is meaningful. Um, or someone is arguing about what is true, and another person is arguing about what is what is useful, um, and that that ambiguity causes confusion and frustration, and um, you know that's when they become unproductive because there's no way to get on the same page um, without first settling on the right question. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a kind of thing that um, you can notice once your your eyes open for it, but. Um, in when you're in the fray and your heart beats racing and your blood, you know, your blood pressure is up, you're not going to have the mental capacities to even untease that. So it's oftentimes um, a bit too late unless you can sort of slow things down. Right. So if most uh, disagreements are about each side kind of talking about different things altogether and talking past each other, is is it about reiterating the other person's like what they're saying to make sure you really understand what they're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two steps. Um, step one is um, reiterating. So like really try to, you know, there's, and that could be even tease apart a little bit further. Like first figure out what, what you want, what you feel unhappy about. So reiterate to yourself, like what is actually my argument and then try to figure out what their argument is. And then sort of bring that to the surface of the conversation. Like, okay, well, I think you think this. Is that correct? Or you could be like, I'm hearing this, and I don't see how you could get from there to this conclusion. Can you help me get there? Um, just to bring the actual uh, content of the disagreement to the surface. But part two of that is to actually also opt make sure that both people actually want to have the conversation in the first place. Um, because a lot of, you know, even if you are talking about the same thing, one person could have zero interest in actually talking to you about that, or you could have zero interest in talking to them. Right. Um, either of those things um, make it um, sort of futile to, to, to continue the conversation because you're really forcing them to do something they don't want to do, um, which then um, turns their strategy from, I want to engage on this topic to, I just want to annoy you until you leave me alone. Um, and, you know, that's sort of where the bad faith um, conversations come in. Um, if your only goal is to get them to shut up, um, then, you know, you're obviously not going to ever um, get anything out of it or make it productive. But we can get around that by saying, like, okay, I think you're trying to say this. 
Um, I, I, I'm not quite there. Do you want to, is there, do you want to, can you tell me more about this? Like, is this something we can talk about and try to get on the same page on, um, and sort of give them a chance to say no, uh, because, you know, a lot of times they will. And then when they say no, you know that that's a good, you know, early indicator that, um, you know, find a better time to have that conversation and maybe, you know, um, or build your relationship with them more before, so to get them to a point where they want to have that conversation with you. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of other options there. Interesting. Um, are there any words or phrases that you've generally found to be unproductive and you recommend <laughs> avoiding altogether maybe Stupid words idiot. like never or obviously yeah idiot <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh any any ones that would be maybe less obvious <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, one of the things that um i see a lot now which is um so there's two that come to mind i'm sure there's gonna be more but so one of them is um where people sort of ask that people admit that they're confused about the other person, but don't actually ask them to clarify. So an example is like, um, I don't get why anybody would vote for candidate B. You must all be, um, you know, racist. Um, so you're admitting that you don't know something and then coming up with a speculation about the answer, but never asking the question. Uh Right. Uh, you never actually ask someone, hey, why did you vote for candidate B? Um, and that seems like a, a small oversight, but um, it happens all the time and it's so unproductive. And, um, you know, even the best, even you know, um, practiced arguers, I think, or even very good moderators will do this, where we just, um, instead of asking, instead of going out with a, with a question, we engage our imagination which is filled with biases about stereotypes and generalities. And we come up with a scenario that is generally fairly uncharitable and then come up with the answer ourselves. We're like, Oh yeah, they must be racist. Um, and now we're done. Like now we have the answer that we, you know, um, that we were looking for. Um, and that's that, you know, that kind of speculation about others is, I would say, you know, in, in the, in the trenches, like responsible for, you know, a, a huge percentage of the unproductive arguments. Cause a lot of times the person you're arguing with isn't even in the room. Um, you know, they're, they're not, you're not actually talking to them. So, um, you can't go ask them, Right. but, um, you just keep on going anyway, arguing, um, with this imaginary projection of them, <laughs> um, which is obviously never going to surprise you with a unique answer because, you know, they're there to live up to your most uncharitable stereotypes of them. Um, and so it just reinforces that, um, that they must be dumbasses and, you know, they must not be worth talking to. Um, so that's a downward spiral that I see a lot. Um, as far as like specific words and phrases, um, I think anything, the ones that, really um, stand out to me the most are stereotype words. So whenever you refer to everyone as, you know, Trump supporters or uh, far left progressive liberals or snowflakes or um, all those words where you're taking a bunch of people that don't actually exist as a group um, and labeling them and then assigning intent and behaviors to them. um, Those kinds of, that kind of 
words, those kind of words are like a, a clear sign that you're not actually talking to someone, that you're you're speaking with these shadows and projections in your own head, um, which which won't lead to a good argument. Right. Um, wondering how how can we become more aware of the biases affecting us? I know we talked about reflecting, but um, sometimes it might feel hard to actually um, realize like what what biases are at play. Do you have any tips for that? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I think you should just always assume that there are biases and um, my, my, my go-to answer for this kind of question is don't necessarily try to figure them out in real time. Um, look back and try to find evidence that some kind of harm has come from them. Um, so, you know, if you suspect that you tend to um, um, prioritize um, uh, familiar answers with unfamiliar answers, go back to past past um, decisions you've made and think about like, okay, well, I chose that at the time. Did that end up being the right answer simply because it was the most familiar to me? Or in hindsight, would I have benefited to look a little deeper and think about you know, what other what other options that I wasn't familiar with would would suffice here? Because in that moment, it feels urgent. It feels like you have to like really um, make a decision. Um, and you can see look look back at those in hindsight and sort of see the effects of the bias. And that's a lot easier to do than doing it in real time because in real time you're dealing with the uncertainty and the urgency and all the like all the constraining factors that create the bias in the first place. Um, versus going back we often have you know much better hindsight we can we can see how things that felt like the right decisions turned out to not be the right decisions both in ourselves and in others and use that to train ourselves um and then the task is not to remove bias from us it's really just to repair the damage so it's a lot easier to go back and say like, okay well wow i made that mistake i didn't consider these other options that i should have how can i help fix that now because um, that's really concrete and um, actionable and specific. And it's not, it doesn't assume that anyone, you don't have to like get anyone to admit that they're biased or um, you don't have to try to change their internal wiring. Um, all you have to do is fix the world. <laughs> and that's a lot easier to do than changing your your, your brain um, or other people's brains for that matter. Um, so I, I recommend like, you know, just look for the repair that you can do um, and worry less about fixing the biases because like there you know honestly is no way to to change that stuff and we're really bad at um guessing about our own biases or other people's biases because in both cases we're either going to over attribute or under attribute um, based on how much we want them to have right um i can't remember if i read this in the first chapter of your book or in the amazon description um but you talked about how in your in your search, I guess, and research for the book, you started seeking out uncomfortable conversations, uh, mm -hmm. some of which made uh, relationships stronger and some of which hurt relationships. I'm curious, yeah. around the ones that hurt relationships, do, like reflecting now, would you, do you, would you say there's some conversations that are better off not having or do you always mm -hmm. side on, on having that uncomfortable conversation oh well i guess there's two ways to answer it i think all conversations can be productive um 
So in a strict sense, like if I had unlimited time and energy, I would love to have every single possible conversation <laughs> disagreement in the world. Um, but in a constrained world, um, I think we should be mindful about, you know, sort of putting it towards the ones that will lead to the most productive um, result. Um, so, um, you know, in a friendship or in a family member, like sort of relationship, um, a lot of those are worth doing because you're going to be around them for a while. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's better to um, sort of repair some of those relationships than just to abandon them. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, if you're dealing with someone on Twitter or Facebook that you're never going to see again, you don't necessarily have to argue with them you know, as soon as you realize that they disagree with you. You could always decide, you know, is this the argument I want to have right now? Is this the best use of my time right now? And sort of weigh it. Um, and I think that was one of the, you know, things that actually led to the most um, sort of, because, you know, one of the things about arguing is that it makes you tense, right? It, thinking of even thinking of the topic sort of makes you anxious. Like you don't want to work on this because they're so painful. Um, but I think when you start to see how pervasive disagreements are and you don't, you aren't afraid of having them and you're not trying to like walk around them, like across the other side of the street, whenever you see one, um, you actually, um, you can, you don't have any, and you don't have to have every single argument. It's actually a huge weight off your shoulders because um, you don't have to do all the work to avoid them, which was, you know, I think more than having arguments, avoiding them is, is like super draining because um, yeah. you know, the problems don't go away. Um, so you can then start to think like, okay, well, you know, which ones do I want to have? Um, and you can sort of start with the most important ones and um, work down. And I think, that, you know, sort of speaking to the parts where like some of my friendships did suffer. Um, I don't think they've suffered irreparably. I think that um, what happens is, you know, as, <laughs> this is, you know, just being human. I think all of us sometimes our ability to conduct ourselves outpaces our ability to perform <laughs> um, at, a, at a high level. So I think early on I was seeking arguments that, um, you know, were over my head in terms of my skills. And uh, so I sort of walked into a few, you know, um, sort of in hindsight, like, oh, yeah, I was definitely wrong there. Um, and I didn't do this right. So, um, and, you know, we've rep I've repaired most of those, but like it did definitely strain people for a while. Like, hey, you're writing a book on arguments and you suck at arguments. Like, what's the deal? Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's, the volatility to seeking out disagreements because you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but that works both in a positive and a negative way. Um, sometimes, you know, the lack of, you know, avoiding a conflict just locks you into a, a situation that you don't want to be in. And the volatility of like actually having the disagreement, you know, frees you from that. Like, you know, I quit my job and, you know, um, you know, I was like, wow, yeah, I was really avoiding that because I didn't, I was afraid of, you know, not you know something or other um and it has actually weighed off my shoulders um but you know there's there's a lot of consequences and i think it, it, i do think of disagreement as a skill as like an art also as like something you practice and get better at um and that means sort of always finding your zone like what is the difficulty to skill ratio that i that i could manage right now um, and not over committing yourself to, to like doozies that you're just not prepared for. <laughs> right. Well, I definitely agree with you that some of the things we avoid or some of the conversations we avoid, um, it, it definitely could turn out to, to be better if you have that conversation. 
but I'm wondering your view on like if that if that feeling of of being uncomfortable is is ever a good indication that you shouldn't have that conversation and how to how to I guess assess or weigh that emotion as to okay this 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 feeling of being uncomfortable is 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 not actually a good thing and I need to Mm-hmm. I need to face it versus, okay, this mm-hmm. is actually an indication that I shouldn't have this conversation. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's where the sort of self-reflection and journaling comes in. Cause if you can tie it back to um, what is, what is at risk? What is, what is feeling threatened? Um, you could, you could decide whether or not you're ready to open that Pandora's box. You know, if, if you're, um, if something that's feeling threatened is like central to your identity and sense of self, and um, you're going through an illness and a breakup, um, you know, processing that level of new um, sort of intensity might be too much. Um, so I wouldn't, but you have to sort of assess it. You know, you could sort of sense like, you know, when you're exercising, like, am I ready to you know, go run a marathon now or not? Um, you can you can say that like, I do want to run a marathon, and it is important to me that I do. But now it's not the right time to do it. I'm sick, and I, I know. Um, or maybe next spring. Um, like similarly, you can approach disagreements that same way. Like you know, you're going to go to Thanksgiving for family. Um, you've got you know different levels of different disagreements to process. Um, the good thing is that you know you'll see them all again at some point. So pick pick an easy one. Sort of build your confidence. Sort of like make the early mistakes at you know low low um consequence levels and um slowly build up um so i think like if if um you self-reflect and you're like uh regardless like if a if a productive disagreement scares you um that's a good that's a good um indicator that you shouldn't have it right like if this went well and i resolved it can i do am i ready for the consequences of that Hmm. um and um, if the answer is no, <laughs> then um, I would hold off. Um, but it's only the fear of it going south, um, and the actual upside is is totally you know, manageable. Then I think that's a sign that you can go forward. I don't know if it's going to be easy to think of an example on the spot, but are you able to think of an example around something like um, an uncomfortable conversation? Um, a conversation that you might feel is uncomfortable to have, then... Oh, sorry. Oh, no problem. Sorry there. No problem. And you were saying, like, even if it ends up being a productive conversation, you still wouldn't be happy with the outcome. I'm just trying to wrap my head around what that example would be. I don't know if you have one in mind. Yeah. um, I mean, an easy example um, that I sort of alluded to before is, is, you know, say that you're not getting along with your boss. Yeah. Um, and the productive um, version of that could be that you end up leaving the company. Right. Um, or if you're in a relationship, you know, the productive resolution of that could be that you break up or you right. get divorced. Uh, right. And, you know, those those are scary things that, um, you know, come with consequences and you know, attention and energy needs um, that even if they go well and you end up agreeing and you know getting the best and the best option is to quit or to break up or get divorced or um, move or yeah. whatever it is um, then then uh, you might still yeah, not but, want that right. Whatever, right it might not be the right time right um, 
yeah, especially if you're doing a bunch at the same time, <laughs> you know, um, there's, I think pacing yourself is important. Right. Um, how much, I know you spoke to it a bit, but how much do you think emotions play a part in unproductive disagreements? Like, like what percentage is it the vast majority of unproductive disagreements that you feel it's, it's emotions at play that are, that are causing the problem? No, I think this is a, um, an unfortunate like myth of, of disagreement that it, we could blame emotions for it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't think emotions are any more to blame for bad per- arguments as, as rationality or cool uh, sort of logic is. Um, it's really the strategies and the sort of the, how you, ex- how you use that. Cause you know, we love emotions. Emotions are like where passion and interest and value and love, all these things come from um, even sadness and disappointment. Like all these things are really important and if you think of them as bad um, and avoid avoid using them or um, you end up neglecting a big chunk of your own like humanity, um, I, I think that's one of the biggest um, sort of, I guess, mistakes that we've made in our striving for like, productive disagreements. We think of it as like, okay, let's resort to some super logical, robotic um, sort of decision tree to resolve this um, when the things you're talking about are about your values and beliefs and your, and your, what, you know, your, your sense of identity. Like there should be some heat there. Um, and you can't resolve them without the heat. In fact. So, um, it really just ends up being that you, um, neglect or, um, dismiss important conversations that, that you don't think are important or that aren't valued as much. Um, but that said, um, I think that how we respond to our emotions and how we, um, how we channel them is important in, in terms of the art. Like you have to use them towards productivity and not towards destruction and um, sort of harm. Um, and, and that's something that a cause of trying to repress them too much. They just builds up, but then you blow up. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's more complicated than just saying emotions are bad. Thinking is good. Makes sense. Um, if you don't mind, I just want to circle back to, uh, the disagreement journal that you talked about, because I, mm-hmm. at least for me, I, I think that's something practical that I think will be cool to try. Um, yeah. I'm curious, do you, do you have any specific, like, do you have a specific framework of questions that mm-hmm. you have in this, in this journal that you'd recommend? Yeah. And I would start simple. Um, you know, the simplest, the simplest framework to start with is, um, you know, what, what anxiety triggered it, what value was threatened, and then what is the objectively or like, you know, evidence-based truth, you know, of the situation, regardless if it supports or just unsupport, doesn't support my side. What are the value systems and belief systems um, that are being sort of included in this disagreement on both sides? And then what are the predictions or um, practical applications that um, can be proposed in terms of resolving this. Um, it goes back to a framework that I talk about a lot in the book, which is just like, you know, the conflicts of the head, the heart, and the hands. Um, and this is the first step towards just separating out um, a disagreement that we usually think is about truth into the hands or the heart, um, which it's usually about. 
and realizing that it might come down to a preference um, or a prediction um, or a tolerance of risk um, that has no objective truth um, to it, but has subjective truth to it and um, can be resolved or validated or communicated about in different ways. Um, and that alone, I think, will um, suffice to be a great dis disagreement journal um, because uh, that step, at least it helped me a lot and it ha it's helped you know people I've talked to around like um, realizing that we were conflating um, two things and that conflating was the cause of the like bafflement you know that you know at some point it's the bafflement that really makes us frustrated like, i cannot believe how this person thinks that yeah. um, probably because they don't um they probably think something else and so you're missing something and how do you get to the root of what that thing that's missing about your understanding of them is and how do you get to the root of what you're misunderstanding or what you're missing as well um, and I would just suggest doing like a private journal um, that allows you to like just spill out all the thoughts and yeah. just um, get to the heart of it. Um, talk to yourself and sort of um, just keep on asking more questions until yeah. something gets dug up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love what you said about assumptions and that that is often probably one of the reasons why the conversation didn't go the way you wanted is you might have made an assumption um, without specifically asking them. Um, yeah. 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 Um, in closing, curious if, is there anything else you want to share either from the book or, or in general? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think um, one of the takeaways that I've gotten from this whole process and sort of like learning this life lesson to bring it back to the question at the beginning yeah, is like, thanks. Um, that, you know, it's, we don't have to pretend to be good at this. Um, we weren't, there's no class on disagreement in school. Like this wasn't something that our parents, you know, passed down to us necessarily, unless you're very lucky to have, you know, um, like really, really in tune parents. But like, um, and so like the first, the first step towards this is just, you know, being okay with not being good at it. And because um, so much of our arguments happen and fall off the rails because we're trying to fulfill a duty to be good and to like represent our side um, uh, adequately. And when we realize that we're not that good at it, we resort to um, violence and insults and, you know, these more, um, you know, just abrasive techniques because, you know, that's what we do when we have nothing left after a fight or flight, you know? Um, so just being okay with not being good at it and practicing it because um, the hard part, about this whole thing is that it's not a list of um, like instructions because we aren't at the end of the day robots that can just like read a script and 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 think um, you know perfectly. But it's something that requires an intuition and a craft and um, a practice and a community even. And when we build that sort of internal understanding of it um, in ourselves, then we can learn to expect it. And others, and we could sort of help people develop um, their own um, skills. And I, I think it's it's something that when we only jump to like, oh, that guy's an idiot, it not only harms our disagreement, but it also harms our expectations of their future disagreements because we don't expect our politicians to be good at this. We don't expect our leaders and our teachers and our parents and our you know managers and mentors to be good at this because we haven't experienced what being good at it is. Right. Um, and as soon as we can 
sort of intuitively feel that, we will learn to expect it of them more. And we might actually use it to help us be better judges of character, um, ask um, a more for more nuanced understandings of these things from, from our leaders and um, shift from, you know, these debates, you know, presidential debates tonight. I, I, I think we don't know, but nobody expects those debates to be productive. Yeah. And that's partly a, a failing of our own imagination. Like we haven't asked, asked them to do that and we don't expect them to do it. So they're not going to do it. Um, and so that's partially on us to like shift our expectations um, by first knowing what, what, you know, a productive disagreement looks like or and feels like. Is it, is it fair to say in summary that um, we should avoid viewing disagreements as one to be like won or lost and instead just an attempt to understand the other side's viewpoint? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot, um, you know, there's so much we can get from communication um, and, um, you know, there's so much we don't know, each of us. And, you know, if we truly are baffled by how somebody believes something that we don't agree with, um, that's that's the first, you know, journey to take is like let's figure that out um and that doesn't require you convincing them that just requires you to be a good studier of of people and ask a good asker of questions um and until you can sort of really until you no longer say like i don't understand why they don't believe what i believe um and you know that's 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 a huge that would mean to not be baffled is is um a great end state of its own um and something that's worth doing i think Cool. Well, thanks again, Buster. Really appreciate the time. Really excited about your book and looking forward to reading the rest of it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for inviting me here. It's great. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.